You're listening to audio recorded at Mount Air First Christian Church. For more resources or to contact us, look us up at www.mountairfirstchristianchurch.org. Luke 19, 28-40 And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? You shall say this, The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus. And throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. All right. The, uh, the grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God stands forever. Three years worth. Uh, good guesses. Uh, no one has it right yet. All right. Lots, Cindy. Yes, lots. Three years worth. That is for sure. But uh, I'll let you kind of 96% of the last three years. Uh, it's been a good time in the gospel of Luke. So this morning we are with this standard uh, passage for um, for Palm Sunday. This is the Luke, the Lucan account of this, what's often called the triumphal entry into Jerusalem where Jesus is, as you've heard, gets on a, a colt. They're full of a colt's donkey and, and the blankets they put over top of this animal and, and he rides this beast of burden then into Jerusalem. And so that's the text that we are in this morning. Um, it's a very a humble entry as well. There's Jesus enters into the city, not on this victorious war steed, which you know, if, if this is the Roman era here where, you know, typically when they've gone in and conquered a city, the king comes in with a big military parade with a big show of force. And here Jesus shows up just riding on a on a donkey. This is a, a, not a victorious war steed, but but a, a humble donkey. This is exactly what's prophesied in Zechariah nine nine and says this it says rejoice greatly o daughter of zion shout aloud o daughter of jerusalem behold your king is coming to you righteous and having salvation is he humble and mounted on a donkey on a colt the full of a donkey so zechariah nine nine has this prophecy of this coming king the rescuer is going to enter into the city humble and, and mounted on a colt, on the foal of a, of a donkey. So Jesus enters the city and the crowd rejoices, right? Hosanna, 
uh, save us is kind of what that means. They're crying out to Jesus. The king is here. Save us. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, in our passage we just read this morning, um, they, they lay down their cloaks. But if you, there's parallel accounts of this, and like in Matthew, you see that they take off branches and lay them down as well. And so that's why this is called Palm Sundays, because of the branches that they would gather and lay down um, upon the road for Jesus to walk over. Uh, side note, if you would like any of the palms, we still have, we have those. We ordered them, Laura got them. They, we have them available. If uh, you with kids want to want to have some to take it home and to do some projects with or whatever, or do your own little Bible story about Palm Sunday, please let me know. And we can get those set out at the front door of the church or wherever for you to stop by. And well, maybe that would be, we can find a way to arrange for you to be able to pick up some, some palms if you would like them. So this Palm Sunday event goes on. It's similar. If you look in history, there's a season called the Maccabean revolt in the apocryphal uh, literature uh, the Deuterocanonical books. Uh, there, there's a book called Maccabees, First and Second Maccabees, and they they are describing this reality of uh, this Maccabean revolt that gets rid of the Roman rulers and this Jewish this Jewish uh, family, the Maccabees. Uh, Simon Maccabee marches in, and history has the um, has has this record of laying down the palms as he marched into victory into the city. So that's why it's called Palm Sunday, but. What's going on with this event? Why, why there, there, this worship that is coming from the crowd as Jesus enters? Well, it's it's very clearly a recognition of Jesus and his kingship. The king is entering into his city. He rides in, and they sing and shout. And that verse, verse thirty-eight of our text: "Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest." That's a, the, the blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That is a quote from Psalm 118, which is a fabulous psalm to just go read all of it. But in Psalm 118, verse 26, there you find that specific line, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So there is this rich historical understanding of this king who's going to enter into his city and sit on his throne and rule as the king in the line of David forever. And so they are celebrating Jesus as this king who is entering into his, his, his throne, into his, his kingdom. So you see on down, this, this isn't, but that is, they celebrate, but that isn't all that Jesus is going to accomplish. If you've got your Bibles out in the Luke 19 passage, you can see that when Jesus enters the city, one of the first things he does is he goes to the temple and he cleanses it. Uh, this is verses 45 through 48 there in, in Luke 19. He goes into the temple and he kicks out all of the religious leaders who think they're doing great. and They're, they're, they're money changing essentially at the temple. They're, they're thieving those who are coming to bring their sacrifices. And Jesus throws them all out. So we see the arrival of a king, many people rejoicing because the king has come, but not everyone. There's a crowd that's not so happy the king has showed up. The religious, those who think they're already got it all made, they're not happy because Jesus shows up and he enacts judgment upon them. He shows up and he throws them out of the temple. And so this isn't, the arrival of the king isn't good news for everybody, right? 
mean, because here Jesus is, so many are worshiping, but there are many who are not very happy. So in our passage this morning, we sometimes just gloss over it, but verses um, 39 through 40, let me get this, display this for you here. You see in verse 39 through 40, it says, some of the Pharisees in the crowd, the religious leaders, they said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Now, often what is assumed or, or thought to be meant there is that, well, if, if these people don't praise me, then even the stone, then the stones are going to praise me. And there's um, there's gospel songs that kind of have that language that, I mean, I've sang in my history and, and they're fine. I mean, okay, I can't think what the songs are, I guess, off the top of my head. But that's, that's the imagery is that these rocks are going to sing the praises because if the people were to fail to, then nature itself would praise Jesus. Sometimes that's the point made, but biblically, I think something else is going on here. Um, the, if you have a Bible that does cross-referencing, this isn't like Darren's done some, wow, really smart, deep dive. It's right here in a cross-referencing Bible. It tells you a reference. And the reference that it gives you is Habakkuk 2, um, 11. And so you can, Habakkuk is a minor prophet. Back in um, Habakkuk chapter 2, let me see if I can find it. Habakkuk, way back here in your minor prophets. I'm going to have to sing the song. But I can't, I don't want to start at Genesis to get to Habakkuk. <laughs> you have what? The song? <laughs> I've got Habakkuk. I can find, I got, I got Habakkuk. Habakkuk, Habakkuk, Habakkuk chapter two. I tell you what number in the pew Bible it is, but you probably don't have a pew Bible at home and neither do I. Habakkuk chapter two, um, the, uh, the, the adult, the, um, the older, the, the senior class of Sunday school just actually worked through Habakkuk and had a whole section here on these woes. And, and Habakkuk, this section here is all of these woes that are being pronounced upon, upon the, the Chaldeans, the Chaldeans in, in chapter two. There's these five woes that come to them. But verse 11 is in this second section of woes. We won't go through all five woes. Don't have time this morning. But he says, woe, starting in verse nine of Habakkuk chapter two, woe to him who gets evil gain for his house to set his nest on high, to be safe from the range of harm. He's secure. He's got his house. He feels very secure and very safe. You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have forfeited your life for the stone will cry out from the wall and the beam from the woodwork respond. And that stone crying out, this is the cross reference you had from Luke 19, is, is the stone crying out, whoa judgment to you because you've done this for yourself. You've, you've gave security to yourself. You have heaped up what is not your own. There's on and on these woes. You've built a town out of blood and based, found this city on iniquity and it's all this woe. And, and so what's going to happen is that these stones are going to cry out judgment against you. And so here in this Luke 19 passage, we see that there is this, there's this understanding that what is going to happen, that if these people, this crowd hadn't praised Jesus, then judgment was going to come. We see both things happening at the appearance of Jesus. Worship and praise for those who recognize his kingship, those who recognize his lordship, and the threatening, the reality of judgment on those who reject Jesus as king. Why would the rocks cry out judgment? 
because Jesus is deserving of every ounce of praise that there is to give. So where does that then put us this morning? Jesus in this entrance into Jerusalem precedes his Holy Week, right? Where it's we're heading into this time of salvation that's going to be accomplished. Good Friday, Jesus is going to go to the cross and suffer for the sins of his people. So we rejoice at the reality of this incredible work of Jesus Christ, this entrance, very important part of his work of salvation for his people. But we can't forget this is not the last entrance of Jesus on the stage of world history. There is a, a final appearance yet to come. And in Revelation 19, 11, you see that Jesus then does come as this rider on a white horse as robes are, are draped with, are spotted with, drenched with blood. He's coming in judgment as the rider on a white horse. But further back in Revelation chapter 20, uh, there's this great white throne judgment that happens. This is, this is Revelation chapter 20. Verse uh, 11, starting in verse 11, says, Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Then another book was opened, the book which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Now, these are scary times that we are living in, and I'm not at this point going to go all into some sort of uh, TV evangelist, uh, the coming apocalypse message. Uh, but I, so I'm not going to go into that. But you have to be able to look around at the world around us and see the continued brokenness of this world. Everything is not wrapped up yet. Everything is not yet finalized. There's a continued brokenness of this world. And it's absolutely an indicator that Christ is not finished with the world. The Bible tells us though, also of the imminent return of Christ, which means imminent means there's, there's nothing more that needs to be done. Christ could return this afternoon before I finish this live stream. I know we don't live that way and don't think that way, but honestly, the, the Bible has nothing left for there to be accomplished before the return of Christ. In the same way that there was this response to Jesus entering into Jerusalem, there will be a future return of this king with two similar responses. How you respond to this, um, this appearance of Christ, how you respond to, to Jesus showing up depends upon your standing with Jesus. How you respond to the news of Jesus coming depends upon your standing with Jesus Christ. So here's my illustration to kind of make sense of what I'm saying. Um, I used to play, I don't know, this is my second basketball reference like in <laughs> three weeks and I'm terrible at basketball, but I can't stop myself uh, from commenting about basketball illustrations. 
but I used to play like in a rec league here uptown and there was lots of local uh, guys in it. Uh, Matt Henley, uh, Josh Heitman, Jolene, Tess and Tanner played uh, my friend, Chris Duster, uh, Shannon Barnes, George Hunt, uh, Hugh Whitson, uh, Nathan Weeda, all kinds. I mean, I'm forgetting all kinds of people. Aaron Shields would show up and play basketball on a, on a Sunday afternoon. And I got to thinking about it and just, you know, just yourself there at home, who, who do you think are the top five, pick five basketball players. Um, let's, and let's say from, from Mount Air school history, I'm sorry if you're watching this, you're not from Mount Air, but it's kind of a local show. So pick your own five guys from your own school if you want to, or girls, I don't want to say, you know, pick, pick the five top players that you would have of Mount Air history. And it might be kind of fun Go ahead on the comment section. If you wanted to say, hey, here's my top five, I don't necessarily have a real refined basketball mind to be able to pick like favorites. So I would just go family. I would probably say uh, David Green, Miles Green. I'd like to see uh, my brother out there, my father and Melissa, Amy Friedrich. You know, I'd like to see oh, Tracy. I got, so, I got so many. I got too many. I want you to pick five. You're picking five people to be – uh, on your basketball team, we're going to play a three-on-three -three tournament. Okay, you get to pick five. Who are your five? I, you know, I could have, I could have gone with better. I went with family. You pick. Who do you think? And you could go, you could go way back. You know, uh, I don't. There's lots of great players. Maybe even put them on here on your list and and tag them if you dare to to say, hey, come into this argument. Are you one of the greatest uh, of all time of the of matter basketball players? Pick your five, okay? We're doing three on three. Now picture, after you've done that, pause this if you're on replay or whatever and, and think. Take a minute. It's okay. Who are your five? You don't have sports right now, so enjoy this. Who are your five best high school players in the time? All right, nine has got a few of them on there. Your five from whenever. Okay, so they're they're standing. Now start the feedback up. You've picked your five. They're standing in the middle of this court. We're going to have a three-on-three -three tournament. They're all, you know, they're still, we haven't set teams up yet. They're all there. All of a sudden, the door opens up and in walks LeBron James or Kobe, if he could, or, uh, you know, pick your, your great basketball player, um, Darren Williams. Uh, I'll let my jazz colors show <laughs> just uh, pick a, a great NBA player walks in the door at that moment, at that moment, what's the most important question on those five players? Mine, they're staying there. We're going to have a three on three tournament, NBA basketball. Great walks in. What is the most important question on their mind? Whose is side is he on? Is he on my team or is he on the other team? Is he for me or is he against me? Because the answer to that question makes all the difference about whether you're glad that they showed up or you're mad that they showed up. That makes all the difference. If they're on your team, thank you. I That's wonderful. If they're against you, I don't know. You just, you're just about ready to quit because, because of the level of, of their greatness showing up and competing. So in the same way, this illustration has a point, in the same way, only with far greater significance, the question regarding Jesus and his entrance to finally consummate his kingdom, when he shows up, how you respond to the news of his showing up depends upon how you can answer that question. Is Jesus for me 
as my king or is Jesus coming in judgment against me? That is a very important question for everyone on that team, everyone who is facing that this, this future reckoning. That is a very important question. When he shows up, will he be for you or will he be against you? Now, don't forget this important reality. We know from reading on in Romans chapter three, every single one of us in our natural state stands condemned under the wrath of God. That when Jesus shows up, if we are left to ourselves, we have no righteousness to present. We have nothing to impress Jesus with. We have no right standing of our own. He walks in by default as a judge against us. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is no one righteous. No, not one. Read Romans chapter three. Every one of us is in trouble unless something drastic happens. It's over. There, there is no rejoicing at the arrival of the king because we all stand under his judgment unless something drastic happens. Jesus is not by nature on our team. His wrath, every one of us, Ephesians chapter two says, we are born dead and trespasses in sin and are by nature children of wrath. Ephesians chapter two, read it as well this afternoon. So something drastic has to happen. Now, what would you do to try to persuade LeBron to be on your three-on-three -three team? I mean, you. I mean, if you're, it depends on the, the prize of the game, but wouldn't you just about do anything to convince him to be for you? I mean, offer him bribes. Well, not that you could bribe LeBron, LeBron with anything, but how could you sweeten him up? I mean, could you give him praises? Could you try to impress him somehow? Wouldn't you do whatever it takes to get LeBron to be on your team and not to be for you and not against you? What would you do? Here's the beauty of the gospel. And so tune back in here at this point. Here's the beauty of the gospel. Getting Jesus to be for you is not about what you do to persuade him, but what he has done to save you. What getting Jesus to be for you is not about what you do to persuade him, but what he has done to save you. So the gospel isn't a declaration of what we must do, but of what Jesus has done. So that he walks in and it isn't about you impressing him. It's about him doing what needs to be done to work God's favor for you. What Jesus does, this trip into Holy Week, this entrance into Jerusalem, he is headed toward a cross where he's going to take the wrath that stood against God's people upon himself. The price that was demanded of you for your reconciliation, for your righteousness is taken upon Jesus so that you're not, the, the gospel message is not, here's what you've got to do to please God, but here's what Christ has done to bring about your reconciliation. The work to remove move God's wrath from you has already been accomplished. The only question is, will you repent and receive it? Will you believe it? Will you accept it? Will you rest in it? Will you let him come in? And because by faith in his work, admitting in humility, I have nothing with which to impress the creator of the universe who made me, whom I owe everything to. I have nothing to impress him with. 
But what the gospel says, is it isn't about impressing him. It's about admitting that I have nothing to impress him with. Admitting that I, like a child, need his rescue to enter into the kingdom. The question isn't what can you do to get him on, him, on your side, but will you trust him with what he has done? <laughs> That's where you need to rest. What he has done to, to reconcile you to the Father, his work on the cross, lives the righteous life we should have lived, dies the death that we deserve, resurrects from the grave three days later, ascends to heaven where he now sits at the right hand of the Father. All of that done so that sinners like you, like me, can humbly admit, though I deserve your wrath, though the rocks should cry out against me in judgment, I have a Savior who took that judgment upon himself so that by repenting and trusting in him, I'd be forgiven of all of those transgressions and reconciled, united, made family with this father. That is the declaration of the gospel to you. You aren't working to impress God. You're confessing I have nothing to impress and you're trusting Jesus and then living in light of what he has done for you. When he comes, Will you be found in his favor? The gospel tells you you can, not through your works, but through trusting in Christ's work. Turn from your sin, confess it, and trust in Christ alone for your salvation. And if Christian, if you have done that, let me remind you, there is no better assurance than this. God in Christ is for you. And if God be for you, nothing can be against you. If God is for us, who can be against us? I mean, you could go down the list of the things that are going on in our world, economic crash, viruses, death, and, and just regular awful things are happening around the globe besides this virus. It's consuming all of the media, but cancer diagnoses are still going on. People are still going and getting treatments. It, thing, hard things are happening all around. But this truth, this rock solid truth is that if God is for us, what can be against us? And ultimately the answer is nothing. If you are his through faith in Christ, Christ secures you all the way home. And you can rest in what Jesus has done for you. No virus, no illness, no difficulty of any kind, not even death itself can remove you from his hands. He has secured you with his own life. Rest in who Jesus is for you today. Let's pray. Father, help us to see this and to rest in who Christ is for us. I thank you for the message of the gospel. I thank you that we are not out trying to shoulder our burdens of how do we impress you or get you to be on our side or get you to be for us. But Christ came to earth and shouldered that burden for every one of us, repenting and believing in his work, that our burden would be lifted, put aside. We'd be forgiven and walk in the freedom that is found in Christ. Father, I pray that as we celebrate Palm Sunday, the entrance of Jesus, we would not forget the yet coming entrance of our Savior, of the King of the universe. And on that day, God, may we be found rejoicing, singing, Hosanna, save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, because we know that Christ has saved 
us. Father, may that be our hope, our anchor, our sure, solid foundation through every storm and trial that comes our way in this life. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.